Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, Kansas City, what's up, y'all? Welcome to Tapped In. We are here live at Taps on Main. This is the Kansas City Public Network bringing you this brand spanking new edition of Tapped In. Happy to do so. Looking forward to talking a little sports. We've got some peeps in the house. We're having some fun, y'all. Here at the KCPN studio at Taps on Main in downtown Kansas City. I've got my kickstart. I've got my water. I'm ready to roll. You saw me with the sunglasses. Looking sexy. Probably not, actually. I look silly. Let's be honest here. So we're going to move on. To, well, we're going to move away from the silliness. We're going to get into some seriousness. I'm going to talk a little baseball. Nothing but baseball today. So jump right in with the Royals. Hot damn, was that a ball game last night? Man, Royals were getting after it. Nice, solid 3-2 to victory over them stinking Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. It's kind of weird to say Angels are stinking, but, you know, hey, whatever. Uh, yeah, after they beat us 3-10 to on uh, Monday night, those jerks, with so many amazing players in that lineup. I mean, Shohei Otani is absolutely just crushing the ball for them. And fortunately, I, I mentioned before that fortunately we don't have to see him on the mound against the Royals, but he's still bringing it in the lineup. He's bringing it at the plate with the bat, and it's uh, it's it's a little bit a little bit ugly for the Royals. But he is a marvel to watch. And speaking of the marvels, I mean, very quietly, which is probably how you could describe his entire career. Mike Trout also just having another spectacular start to his season. He was batting round four, just shy of 400. He's got four home runs already, near the league lead in RBIs. I mean, Mike Trout's just doing Mike Trout things. And the guy is there, – there's a reason he's the best in the game. And it's funny. I was having a conversation with somebody who they mentioned, why is, why is he not put up there? I was, it was Aaron and I were talking uh, last night and saying his wife, why is he not – Get, why does he not get the respect that he does that he deserves <clears throat> as the best player in the game? And <clears throat> excuse me, why does why do the Angels why does MLB seem to have a problem marketing the guy who is definitively the best player of this generation? No apologies to Bryce Harper or Manny Machado, anybody else who might think that or or that they think or people think deserve to be up in that same echelon with Mike Trout. But the fact of the matter is, is those guys. What they wished, what they think they can do, and what they wish they were doing, Mike Trout does it every single season. So it's a little bit of a treat to get to see him at Kauffman Stadium, and also getting to see Albert Pujols for quite possibly the final time at Kauffman Stadium, Kansas City's own. Went to uh, Maple Hill. I'm sorry, not uh, went to Maple Woods Community College, right in the Royals' own backyard, and they completely missed on him. Yes, he was probably a little bit older than he has admitted. He's probably he's he's listed at 41 years old. He's probably 43, maybe even 44. But who cares? The guy is he's a legend. And when they they put up his stats over his career yesterday at one point during the ball game, and you're looking at a guy who's top 10 in so many categories. I mean, this is somebody who legitimately is going to go down as one of the. 10, if not one of the five greatest hitters to ever play the game. And what's funny is when scouts looked at him coming out of Maple Woods, literally one of the things that was said about him is, oh, he's a decent athlete, but he'll probably never amount to much at the plate in the big leagues. And 
whoever wrote that report, I really hope that they have no are, are in no way working in the game of baseball at this point because wow. How the hell could you have missed on Albert Pujols? Which the Royals are among the teams that did. He didn't go until he didn't get drafted until the 13th round. So every single team missed on him, and it was the freaking St. Louis Cardinals that were the ones that actually uh, went and drafted him. So good job, Howard Baird and all the other scouts from back then when the Royals were uh, looking at that. Were in the late 90s, I think it was 99 when Pujols got drafted. So. Good job to the Kansas City Royals. I have a bone to pick with those guys because of how they completely whiffed on the legend that is Albert Pujols. But anyway, quite possibly the last. Uh, this is the last series we might ever see him at Coppin Stadium. Again, he is 41 years old. Uh, seems like he might be playing out his contract. Uh, absolute legend. And people can say there's always going to be the rumors and some smoke that maybe he he abused uh uh steroid not steroids but performance enhancing drugs but there, he's never had a positive test there's no evidence of that it's just it's just hearsay there's absolutely no proof and so until until it's proven that he's he's done anything i was going to consider him as an all-time great uh always enjoyed watching albert pujols hate the st louis cardinals but that was the one guy i would actually root for uh, from from Mark McGuire to him, the the one Cardinal players that I could ever actually get behind. So, anyway, but yeah, the Royals won three to two last night in exciting fashion. Uh, just kind of did it the old school Royal way. Just a run here, run. Find their way to victory, and man, did they, did they ever ever succeed in just that old school awesome Royals fashion. And the name, two names that really stand out from yesterday's game, Daniel Richard Duffy, first of all. My goodness, that, that guy is sizzling on the mound right now. Uh, he, was, he went six innings yesterday, eight, gave up eight hits, walked one, six strikeouts, and just one earned run. One run altogether. And it was a home run. It was a solo shot. So duffy has been absolutely nails to start this season so far he has pitched uh 12 innings so far over over two starts 2-0 a 0.75 era 10 hits allowed four walks 11 strikeouts and just the one run so duffy is just he's i i thought he was going to be in the bullpen i actually was was uh, a proponent of him being in the bullpen this year i said he's 32 years old now it's something that we've waited for years for him to step up and be the the leader of the rotation. And in the clubhouse, the guy is absolutely a leader. I mean, you're talking to a guy who wants to be a royal lifer. Hell, he even came out and said in in the media, said, "Bury me a royal." I believe he tweeted that when there was when there was trade rumors of him two about him two or three years ago. So this guy wants to be here. And so it's exciting. I know I've obviously talked a lot about Jake Ju Jacob Junis and his success. So if this is something where we're looking and seeing the Royals rotation is going to be anchored by Jacob Junis and Danny Duffy. And again, it's a very, very young season, a long ways to go. So we'll, we don't know how it's, there's going to be a lot of twists and turns over the course of 162 games. And we don't, who knows what's going to happen. But at this point in time, if this if this is Danny Duffy finally taking that turn, and he's not using his forcing fastball as much as he used to, he's using his sinker a lot more, 
and it's been it's been very effective thus far. This we might see the true maturation of Danny Duffy into being the pitcher we always hoped he would be. And you know what? Better late than never. So this is we, we, we so obviously the Kansas City has a great deal of affection for him, rightfully so. And I'm I'm excited that he's been able to kick off this season the way that he has. So kudos to Daniel Richard Duffy. Uh, let's see, <clears throat> hitting-wise, uh, I will get to the, the other name that I mentioned before in just a moment, but Whit Merrifield is still batting 385, still got a hot bat, and Michael A. Taylor is still over 300. Uh, the bullpen has also, it, it, it has some struggles, and some of the names that I mentioned uh, previously have slipped a little bit. Uh, unfortunately, Scott Barlow got roughed up pretty bad yesterday. Uh, or I'm sorry, on Monday, uh, only two-thirds of an inning pitched. Three hits, and all three of them came in to score. And that's – Barlow had been lights out so far over the course of the season, and he just – he was a part of – not part of the solution, suffice to say, on Monday night in that 3-10 to 10 loss. And the errors, it was very, very untypical of the uh, – atypical of the Royals uh, with three errors on Monday night, uh, with Michael A. Taylor having a throwing error, and then Brady Singer on the same play having a throwing error allowing two runs to score. Nicky Lopez had an error from shortstop. Kind of makes you wonder, okay, when is Adalberto Mondesi going to come back? I mean, Lopez is still – he's still making do at the plate. I mean, he's he's still being, he's still showing a strong bat, definitely an improved bat. But that you can't we, – we just – that's it's, again, it's very unroyal-like for what happened on Monday night. That's something defense is usually a linchpin for this team. And that was definitely not the case on Monday night with the Angels. And just another another couple of pitchers that got rough. And Carlos Hernandez, who he did get sent down today. He got sent to the alternate site. And it, because it's evident that he's he's just not at the he's not at the level right now that the Royals were hoping. I mean, he's a prospect that the Royals had intentions for probably end up ending up in the rotation at some point, at least being a key arm out of the bullpen. And just he didn't even get he didn't even record an out on Monday night. He gave up three walks in eleven pitches, and he's got a ten point eight zero ERA on the season. Hernandez is he's just not there yet. Maybe just maybe a little time at the alternate site. Maybe he can get right. We'll see. And then Jake Newberry also struggled on Monday night. One and two thirds innings pitched, four hits, uh, but three earned runs. gave up gave up a home run. It's, uh, it's Newberry's first appearance of the season. And he's another guy the Royals are high on, but it's there's there's other arms there that are are doing well, and it's just unfortunately some of these guys just aren't really keeping up or aren't aren't carrying their load of the burden so far. Uh, but the the bullpen arms that I mentioned that are names that I've mentioned before: Kyle Zimmer, Jake Brintz, the rookie Jake Brintz, and Josh Stamon still have not allowed a single run so far. 14.2 innings pitched. Just two hits allowed between the three of them, four walks and 15 strikeouts. So still some really strong aspects of the Royals' bullpen. Josh Stamont got put on the IL for a day and then got taken off today. And there was no injury or anything listed. There's speculation that it might have been COVID protocol. But Stamont is active today, so don't be shocked to see him come out of the bullpen at some point and bring that 100-mile-per-hour heater. We all like to see that with his – weird man bun but i'm not here to judge maybe a little bit 
Uh, but anyway, the game last night was what was exciting, and the name that has to be mentioned besides Mr. Duffy is Mr. Salvador Perez. My God, this guy has been smoking hot. He came home. He was batting under 200 after the first several games of the season. Man, he wanted to come home, come home to the K, come home in front of the Royals fans badly because in the two games against the Angels so far, he is 6 of 8 at the plate, scorching hot, and has risen his uh, batting average up to 314, one of the three Royals now along with Witt and Taylor that are batting over 300. But it wasn't his bat that provided the key moments yesterday and so we reached a point bottom of the ninth three to two ball game bases loaded and man just greg holland on the mound he was scuttling a little scuffling a little bit have struggling so david fletcher for the angels was on third base and there was it was a bad pitch thrown by pitch in the dirt thrown by holland and salvi stopped it right there in the dirt it but it bounced off of the batter jared walsh and here comes fletcher maybe leaning off third base a little bit too much he gets a little bit too close to home and salvi man 30 almost 31 years old but he still has an absolute cannon holstered there on his right shoulder and he got the ball and he gunned down fletcher at third base to end the ball game picked him off threw him out on what could have been a, a horrible play that would have resulted in the game being tied or even the Royals going down. And instead, Salvador Perez turns it around and is able to make a phenomenal play. You could even see, obviously you couldn't hear the, the mic, <clears throat> excuse me, the microphones couldn't, weren't, weren't going to pick it up, but you could see manager Mike Matheny literally mouth, what a fucking throw. <laughs> and it was, and I, I, I think me and anybody else, any Royals fans who were watching that last night probably may have said something very similar to that so and it's that's Salvador Perez man I mean this is Matheny's technically his second season managing but he gets to see him Matheny's a former catcher in his own right and a former he was a great defensive catcher but even he probably couldn't make a play like what Salvi did yesterday so we absolutely have to love seeing what Salvi does he's just man just seeing that smile out there and I know he played last season but he had two seasons within with the the slipping and, and messing up his knee with his luggage two or three years ago and then two years ago when he had to have the Tommy John surgery and miss the season. But, man, just seeing Salvi out there and, and contributing both at the plate and behind the plate as a catcher is just – it's just so much fun. I mean, I've talked about how awesome it is to see Wade David – excuse me, Wade Davis and Greg Holland out there, so definitely some nostalgia feel. But those are guys that came back. Salvi never left, and he's not going anywhere anytime soon. Because the Royals, they gave him that extension in the offseason. They pay, they're paying him a lot of money, and rightfully so, because that guy is – it is his name that will be forever associated with the recent uh, era of Royals greatness. You know, the 14 and 15 playoff or World Series runs and the 15, uh, 15 championship, 2015 championship over the New York Mets. So, which – Funny enough, the New York Mets, that brings me up into my, my next subject here, is uh, there's a passing that just occurred that I mentioned, we, we mentioned you know, passings every now and again, and if, if they are pertinent to the sports world, and this one is, but I don't think anybody's going to miss this asshole. And uh, <laughs> I just got some reaction from people in studio, because that was probably not what they thought was going to be coming when I said somebody's passing, but 
That piece of shit, Bernie Madoff, passed away at 82 years old in prison. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he was uh, in the midst of a 150-year prison term for his involvement with the Ponzi schemes. And I think he's, in, he's one of those people, when you say Ponzi scheme, the next name that probably comes to mind is Bernie Madoff. And so I, uh, I'm obviously not, I, I leave judgment. I try to leave judgment to, to higher authorities than myself. But uh, I think it's safe to say that Bernie Madoff was, yeah, he was, he was a piece of shit. And so if you want to know just how much of a piece of shit he was, he... In with with his Ponzi schemes and some of his victims are really recognizable names: Steven Spielberg, Kevin Bacon, Eli Weisel, who was uh, a Holocaust survivor and wrote a book that probably most of us, I know I did, read in in high school. Uh, Night, of, which was a very vivid and eye-opening book about what Holocaust survivors went through, and. Sandy Koufax, Hall of Fame pitcher, one of the all-time greats. These were some of his victims. He lost his victims more than $50 billion over the course of all, his, all of his Ponzi schemes. And when I said, obviously this ties into the New York Mets because that was some of his other key, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, some of his other key victims were the Wilpons. Fred Wilpon, Jeff Wilpon, and Saul Katz. Who were involved? Who were the in the Mets owners? That uh, were the majority owners for the New York Mets, and uh, around the time they were still uh, the primary owners during their playoff run, or their World Series run in 2015, when you know they got their asses handed to us to them by a, a certain team from a lovely city called Kansas City. Uh, but yeah, they uh, the Wilpons they they lost uh, he he lost them. They had over 500 accounts involved with the Ponzi scheme, and the Wilpons and Cats got sued for a billion dollars in this. And so they were struggling as they were trying to maintain ownership of the Mets, and they were forced to take out $65 million in loans. They were really struggling. This is where you saw in a time when salary cap was rising for a lot of teams, the Royals included, the Mets were the ones that were dropping down to under 100 million and then down to 85 million. And it's frankly very, it's impressive the fact they were able to make the 15 World Series, given that they'd been trying to slash payroll so much. It was those reasons alone why one of the days that a lot of really intense sports fans enjoy is Bobby Bonilla Day. And that's when something that we all look at and we all wish that we could get a former employer to concoct a deal with us like this, in which Bobby Bonilla gets paid a million dollars once annually, one day annually for 25 years from the New York Mets. And that happened because of the Bernie Madoff Ponzi scheme and the Wilpons struggling for money. And so they struck this deal, even though they, they owed him just a small amount of money from the end of his contract when they bought him out a decade earlier, but they struck up the deal saying, hey, we'll pay you a million dollars annually for 25, 25 years starting in 2011. And so through 2035, He's Bobby Boney is, I think, around 60 now, and he's still getting a million dollars a year from the New York Mets. That's man. That's just the dream. If, if anybody wants to give me a million dollars a year just to have me go away, just sign me up. I'm more than happy to. And so I will disappear. You won't ever hear from me again. I will just happily accept that million dollar checks. Uh, but yeah, it's it's pretty insane to think about how this affected, but it was how this affected the New York Mets and how it affected the Wilpons 
and they're the Mets are in much better hands now. Steve Cohen bought the team last year, and they raised payroll. And the Mets are they're they're hanging right there near the top of the National League East, and they're expected to be a potential World Series contender. So we will see. But again, Bernie Madoff dead at 82 in prison, and I just I don't really know many people that are going to miss him. So nothing to cry over there. And if that makes me a terrible person, so be it. Uh, but yeah, we're going to finish off this with another, obviously a very pertinent thing. And I have had uh, some people close to me that have asked me to address this. And it is something that is, it's very, uh, it's relevant in the sports scene, obviously. But one thing that recently happened was the All-Star Game being moved from Atlanta, Georgia to Denver, Colorado. And when Major League Baseball made this decision, they didn't announce where they were moving it to first. All they'd said was they were moving out of Georgia. They've gotten a lot of backlash. They've also gotten a lot of praise. Now, the background of this is they did this because of the Georgia voting laws that recently just got passed. And that has also been a very hot topic and cause for a lot of consternation among uh, among just basically anybody who's, who's paying attention to the storyline. And it's, it's something that it has crossed a lot of people, but again, it's, it's, it's a very divisive, very decisive uh, uh, issue at hand here. But when you look at some of the things, some of the reasons behind this, and a lot of people are saying it's not a big deal. What a lot of people on the right are saying, this is not a big deal. This is just trying to make sure that it's, it's trying to ensure the integrity of voting in Georgia. That's what people on the right are saying. People on the left are saying it's voter suppression. Again, it's a very hot topic. This is, this is not, not an easy thing to really get into and try to kind of get into the nitty gritty and try to figure out this. But when you look at the history of Georgia, and in particular when you look at the history of their governor, Brian Kemp, this is a guy who, over the course of his political career, has definitely leaned into some very shady voter suppression tactics. For example, he was formerly, he was the secretary of state in Georgia. And a one leading example is, <clears throat> excuse me, with his, uh, with voter suppression tactics that happened in Georgia under his, I hesitate to say reign, under his, era, the era of Kemp, I suppose, I, I don't know, under, under his tenure, that's, <laughs> that's the word I was looking for. But he, he has come out and he's, he has said with, with the game being relocated that it's affecting uh, minority-owned businesses. And that's, that's, there's no, no denying that. That's, that, is a, that is a fact. That is a reality. But this is a man who has shown that he doesn't care about, like, he he's cares now when it's something that can work in his favor about, the, about uh, minority-owned businesses and about the black community. But he has shown no regard for them in his past transgressions as before he became governor as Secretary of State. And so from 2008 to 2012, 750,000 voters were, were, uh, were struck from the record. That's something that seems like a high number, and that is a high number, but that's honestly, it's not anything major. When he took over as Secretary of State in 2013, since then, he, he struck 1.4 million off damn near doubled that 750,000 and that is an insanely high number and it's for reasons such as 
why why these voter register why these registered voters got denied is things like missing hyphens in their names things like a rumor that the voter had moved to a different residence things like mis misspelled street names really asinine reasons to strike away these these voter records and when he in excuse me in uh, 2018 the associated press did an analysis of 53,000 voters that were registered voters that were waiting on uh, their registration to be approved in the state of Georgia and that were on hold at the time and out of that 53,000 nearly 70% of them were that were being denied were black and again, for the reasons like the missing hyphens and the rumors of, mo of the residence changes and misspelled street names. Just again, really like, <laughs> sure, those are, those are acceptable reasons to deny somebody their voter, their, their right to vote by the book. But anybody with a conscience can tell you that that's bullshit. And yet that's what this guy did. And so here we come now, 2018, 2020, Georgia lost, and Georgia lost bad. They went blue. And God forbid they went blue in the elections. And so this new law that just got passed in the state of Georgia, literally in, on the bill, it actually says, following the, eight, the 2018 and 2020 elections, due to a, there is a lack of confidence in the Georgia election systems. So all these things were okay in the past, but it's all of a sudden now that the Democrats have taken office and the Democrats won in 18 and 20, that's when all of a sudden the, le the legislation needs to change. And Kemp is a man too that all these voter suppression tactics that he employed, he actually got sued as secretary. Georgia got sued due to him in 2013 and he stopped these tactics, but then he just got a law passed for him to be able to continue to enforce these laws. And that's what he is doing now in Georgia. And so some of the things, and again, there's people are gonna say, obviously it's a, it's a very decisive issue and people are gonna say what they want to, but here's just some of the facts is in the Atlanta area alone, you're moving from having 94 drop boxes to only 23. In, in, in the like downtown Atlanta, in the heart of the city. And you, they're only allowed to have one box per 100,000 citizens. Which one of the, they've been very critical of, of Colorado, for example, and saying that Colorado also has restrictive uh, voting laws. But the, the reality is, is that Colorado, compared to the one box per 100,000 voters for Georgia, it is one box per 9,400 voters in Colorado. Colorado is not being more restrictive. The one thing that they're being more restrictive on is instead of 17 days that, uh, that voting sites are open in, in uh, Georgia, it's only 15 days in Colorado. But Colorado is also known as a state that they do much more of their voting by, by mail. And they are given, they have the opportunity 15 to 20 days before the election is when they get mailed in Colorado is when they get mailed their opportunity to register. And, <clears throat> excuse me, 
and that's that's uh, yeah, it's 15 to 20 days before is when they get their when they get their mailed ballot, and but they they've already registered, and that's where they're not asked for identification once they're a registered voter. Whereas that is changing in Georgia, and Georgia is also limiting the number of days and the opportunities for people to mail in. And again, of course, uh, what I just mentioned, they're going from 94 to 23 drop boxes for ballots. There's also, in Colorado, they are allowed to have 16 different forms of identification that they can use, including Medicare. Uh, whereas in Georgia, it's only six. They're cutting it down to only six forms of identification. So, and obviously one of the other hot topic issues in Georgia, they're saying that they, they want people to go vote in person, and that's what these laws are trying to do. But yet, the, you can't, there's, there can't be anybody to distribute food or water to them within 150 feet of the voting, the polling place, or within 25 feet of a voter itself. Whereas Colorado, as long as it's not, as long as the food or water isn't endorsing a political candidate, it's, it's perfectly fine. They allow it. So if it's you know 95 degrees or something like that, I mean it's, it'd be in November, so it's it, probably not going to be that case. But still, uh, what's wrong with giving somebody, especially if you want them to do it in person, you're going to have long lines. So what's wrong with giving them some water or a bite to eat? And again, if you're not, that's there's no political agenda behind it. It's just it's just being human. It's showing some compassion. I don't know why there is something wrong with that, but apparently there is. But anyway, those are just just some of the facts about about what's happening in Georgia and it's tough to say that with how Brian Kemp operated as the Secretary of State that there isn't some agenda behind this and especially again and what I will say and I'm sorry but this is just common sense you can read between the lines that the fact that they are employing that they are trying that they are making these changes now after Georgia and the presidential election for the first time in decades was blue instead of red, I think it's I think it's it's clear it's clear as day to see that what why this is happening and why they did it is to ensure that the mail-in that the vote doesn't isn't affected by the mail-in votes and the reality is is in in the inner city Atlanta it's just it's 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 simpler it's easier for them to do mail-in votes and especially during a pandemic was the case and yet the mail-in votes is the main target of this so-called uh election fraud that trump that donald trump and many of his supporters are claiming and i'm not going to get into that but i think it's it's pretty easy to see that this that there is an agenda behind what Georgia is doing. So anyway, that's that's what's happening there. Uh, this was a conversation with baseball and baseball movement, Major League Baseball making the decision to move the game away from Atlanta. And it's it's unfortunate that it will negatively impact some citizens because there are small businesses and business owners in Atlanta that are unfortunately not going to get the payday. There's numbers being thrown around like a hundred million dollars, and that's what the that's what Kemp and others in Georgia are claiming that Atlanta is going to lose out on. And the Atlanta Braves themselves are obviously disappointed. They don't agree with the decision. But baseball made that decision. It is it is happening. Again, I think this hundred million dollars is a stretch. There's been two, in the last twenty five years, two All Star games 
have had an economic impact on the host city that have been over $100 million, and they were both in New York. Tourist attraction. Only, besides those two, only three others have even been north of $80 million for the economic windfall that the city has, has had from hosting an all-star game. And those other three were in Southern California, San Diego and the Los Angeles area. area. I'm sorry, but Atlanta just doesn't seem to fall in that. They did host it 21 years ago. They made their economic windfall was for their economic impact was $49 million. Yes, that was 21 years ago. But you even look at some of some of the recent numbers of All-Star Games like Washington hosting the All-Star Game a couple years ago. I think they made right around 75 million or something. And so the numbers for if it's not in Southern California, if it's not New York, the numbers over the last decade suggest that it's it could be expected anywhere from 60 to 75 million dollars which it is unfortunate that again it's unfortunate that these small business owners aren't going to get the benefit of that especially during a pandemic especially after the struggles they went through in the last year and that is something kemp has come out and said is like i mentioned a little while ago that that he's coming out and, and showing care for them now but it seems very hypocritical for for a man to make his claims of that at this point in time that he cares about the black community when he just he hasn't shown a lot of care beforehand and so major league baseball made their decision and they moved it out and they, they had a statement about it that they they want to do right by the black community and that they want to uh they want to do right by their players and that it was the right thing to do. And their player, the Players Association agreed. Uh, there's a, a organization, the Players Alliance, and they agreed. A lot of people agreed with their decision. I also do agree with the decision, but I know it's another thing. Is just like I can say, you can see, read between the lines and see why this Georgia law was passed. You can also read between the lines to see why Major League Baseball did what they did. They didn't do this. To, to, and I could be wrong, but, I, from, but based on Rob Manfred's statement, and of course that's what they're going to do is they're going to come out and say they did it for these right reasons. But my, I just with with how baseball acts, they're more in line with the NFL of being tone deaf than they are with the NBA and doing the right things, and with under Adam Silver's leadership versus Roger Goodell's leadership. I see Manfred more in the Goodell league than I do the silver league. And I, this seems to me that this was something where major league baseball realized a problem that as it got closer to the all-star game and you had players being voted that were up near the top of the voting leaderboards and the likelihood that some of those players would start to boycott the all-star game and decide not to play. And then all of a sudden you would have a crisis on your hands in Major League Baseball of, oh my gosh, what are these guys going to, what are we going to do? And the, I, you would have to play players that weren't worthy all of a sudden that were going to be playing in the All-Star game that shouldn't have been voted in in the first place. And they were going to be jumping, at, they were going to be getting that, those opportunities. And it was going to be a big headache for Major League Baseball. And so I think that this was, this decision ultimately and given how early they made this decision, I think this was them jumping ahead of that. And I will give them credit for that, for avoiding one headache. Yes, they've given themselves quite another big headache, but I guess in this case, this was them choosing the lesser of two evils. And again, I have no proof of this, but sometimes you can just tell with common sense. 
and they knew that they were going to have a big problem on their hands with players boycotting. Well, let's just take the All-Star game out of this out of the state that is the at the heart of these issues and then we don't have to worry about that and we can find an alternate site. And when I say I say that it's common sense that leads me to believe this and it's this common sense is just kind of it's it's cemented by the fact of where they move the All-Star game to. And I know I made the points about Colorado and their voting laws in contrast to Georgia and their voting laws. And this has nothing to do with that. But they, they listed a few different sites that were candidates for where they might move the All-Star game, including Kansas City. And different cities made, you know, they made their cases. Again, Kansas City, we, we put together a, uh, an effort to try and get the game to come here. And which Kansas City was a wonderful host in 2012. But they chose Denver, and here's why this really frustrates me and why I, I believe that this was not a case of Major League Baseball doing what they felt was right, but merely trying to avoid a PR headache. And that is because they moved it to Denver, Colorado, where, for example, Atlanta, 34% of their population is black. In Denver, 8% of their population is black. So you, you say you're doing something, you're moving it away in order to stand with the black community and to stand up against these suppressive voting laws that Georgia just passed. And it's clear, like, that, that is what they were doing, is they were trying to be very in this moment in 2021 and trying to make a stand to support the black community, but then you move it to one of the cities in America that has one of the smallest percentages of black population. And when you see, when Atlanta makes the good point of, and it's not stealing money away from these business owners, but it is taking, that's money that they probably were counting on at some point. And again, the $100 million is a, is a vast exaggeration. And the reality is probably 60 to 70 million, maybe 80 even possibly. But again, it's also a pandemic, so maybe even the numbers would be less than that. But it was still going to be money in those business owners' pockets. But then again, you, now you've moved it to Denver. And that is something that displays to me that this is not MLB doing the right thing. This was just them looking for an opportunity to please certain, certain members of their of their viewership and of their sponsors and and whatnot and that's where i is i will give the mlb a certain amount of credit what they are doing is seemingly the right thing but again just very very tone deaf in moving it to denver colorado of all places and this is not me having anything against denver and besides the broncos i mean I think anybody who knows me knows that I have a very deep hatred for the Broncos, but this, it, it is something where, again, they, they say they're doing it for the black community and then you move it away from Atlanta to Denver. That's not doing any favors for the black community. And I'm not somebody obviously who can speak on behalf of anybody else, but this is just an opinion. This is just what I'm, this is me reading between the lines. This is how I'm seeing things. That's something there's this opinions on this show. That's just an opinion that I have right now is this is MLB was doing the right thing, but they didn't do it for the right reasons. And ultimately that still merits some praise of do, having done the right thing, but they just, they've definitely made some mistakes along the way. And I think that they, their cards have been revealed that it wasn't the noble act that 
it is being portrayed by certain segments of the media. But it's still happening. And so we're going to have an all-star game in Denver. There's going to be no player opt-outs, so they avoided that bit, that big headache. But they've still got quite a nasty mess going on with uh, a lot of the backlash they've received otherwise. So it's still ultimately a headache. But again, I will give them a certain amount of credit, but I, it's this, again, they're, they're no saints over there in Major League Baseball. It's still all about the money. They didn't want to piss some people off. So they decided, hey, let's... We're going to piss people off regardless. Let's see. Let, let's have it be the smallest amount of damage possible. So there it is. That's what Major League Baseball did. But that's going to close out our our all-baseball edition here on this uh, nice Wednesday afternoon here in downtown Kansas City. Gorgeous sunny day out. But I want to thank you very much for joining me here on Tapped In from the KCPN studios at Taps on Main. Go out, uh, watch a little baseball today. You got Royals or hell, they're going on right about now. Yeah, the first pitch was just a little while ago. Uh, the game will probably be just about over by the time that you see this. But again, thank you for uh, watching us here, and you all have a wonderful Wednesday, and I will see you on Friday.